Luke chapter 10. Uh, we're going to read verses 25 down through 37. Uh, this is the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is a familiar story, but we, I, I want to dig down deep into this. In fact, this sermon is going to take two weeks. Uh, we're going to do the, kind of the first half of it this week and the second half next week because there's so much uh, to talk about, and I, I can't get through it all uh, this morning. But let's uh, get us all on the same page by uh, reading, the, um, uh, reading the parable starting in Luke 10, uh, 25. And so uh, it says, On one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said, or Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. If you have your sermon outline this morning, get it out. Go ahead and... Oh, look, that picture's up there again. How about that? Well, did I mention that we were going to be grandparents? I, I didn't know if we mentioned that or not. Um, hopefully that won't keep showing up throughout the message. Anyway, um, all right, so we want to look at this passage. It's, um, I, I, I was reading this passage one time, and, and as I was reading the passage, just um, all these little details started to jump out to me. In fact, there were ten little details that jumped out to me. And so we're going to handle this in two parts. Uh, we're going to do the first five this week and do the next five next week as we talk about um, excuses that we use to, to sit on the sidelines when there's a genuine need, when somebody um, has something that needs to be attended to. Sometimes we, we instead of engaging, we kind of sit on the sidelines and we want to talk about some of the excuses that we use. Now, as we go through these, I, I, I want to make clear up front, I'm not saying in, in all these situations that there aren't exceptions sometimes to these situations, that if, if it's a, uh, you know, a unique kind of a circumstance, that there aren't times where there are reasons that we don't do it, even though it falls under one of these. But what I really want to address is I feel like when it comes to whether it's uh, serving in the church or seeing a need in our community or, or um, whatever it may happen to be, 
I think so often we are so quick with our excuses and we're so quick to let ourselves slide and walking away from a situation where there's a genuine need. And this passage is all about that genuine need that we see there that we want to talk about um, the excuses that we often use and to make sure that we're not using them um, to get ourselves out of a situation before we realize or before we even think about, okay, does God, as we prayerfully think about, does God want me to engage in this particular situation? Um, let's start with the lawyer, and then, and then we'll go from there. The lawyer's focus and ours, too. Sure, I'm willing to help when it's convenient for me. Sure, I'm willing to help when it's convenient for me. We have, leading up to this passage, we're going to concentrate on the story of the Good Samaritan for the majority of the, of the sermon this week and next. But before that, the interaction is Jesus talking to, uh, verse 25, an expert in the law. And the expert in the law asks, what, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what's written in the law, the man gives the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God and all the, the things that come after that, and then love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 28, Jesus says, hey, that's a good answer. Um, do this and you will live. But verse 29 is where we want to start. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? There are very few of us that would say, listen, it's, it's, it's my world, and I'm only responsible for me, and I don't need to help that person or that person. I don't need to help anybody else. I'm just going to concentrate on myself. Um, that's kind of an a Atlas Shrugged kind of a view that very few people take in terms of um, not being concerned about anybody else around us. And, um, and so where it ends up falling is not that we say, okay, I'm not going to ever help anybody, but oftentimes we are really quick with excuses as to why in this particular situation I don't need to help. As you look at 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, and who is my neighbor? And that, of course, is a big question because depending on who my neighbor is, depending on how we define that, is a world of difference between having to help in a ton of situations or almost never having to help. And it's really key that it says there that he wanted to justify himself because that makes the lawyer just like us. None of us want to say, okay, I'm, listen, I'm not at all a compassionate person. I don't care at all about people. We don't want to think that about ourselves. We want to think of ourselves as a kind person, a compassionate person, someone that's concerned about those around us. And so when we're in a situation where it should be something where we show compassion, we have to come up with a good excuse as to how, well, you know, maybe well, I should have done something, but the reason I couldn't was, and we come up with an excuse. So what are the excuses that this passage pushes against to make us kind of stop and think, okay, I, I, need to, I need to really drill down on this and make sure I'm not just excusing myself, but that this is legitimate. So we're going to go through the first half of the passage and talk about five excuses. And the goal is for us to move beyond just when it's convenient for me, I'm going to help, or when it's easy for me, I'm going to help, but instead to show the love of Christ that is a sacrificial love. Jesus didn't just help when it was convenient for him. Jesus helped in all these type of situations, and we need to be people who have that kind of compassion. All right, let's talk about these excuses and unpack these verses. Excuses, we're going to phrase it this way. 
excuses not to help. Some of the reasons that we give as to why I'm not going to help in a situation. Number one, it's his own fault. Number one, it's his own fault. As you look at verse 30, and I realize we don't live in Jerusalem or in Israel, so this wouldn't mean a lot to us, but the story starts, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So that was a well-traveled path that uh, that a lot of people went on, and because it was well-traveled, it was also a dangerous road. There were a lot of bandits and and robbers that would uh, lurk in areas around that road because they knew it was well-traveled, and so there was a good chance of catching somebody that was uh, in a vulnerable situation if they happened to come through without a caravan or without other people. And so in this situation, it would be very easy for somebody walking along, like the two guys we're going to talk about here in a minute, you're walking down through there, and you see this person, and you're like, yeah, it's his own fault. I mean, this is a dangerous road. He should have known not to come through here at this time of day, or he should have known not to come through here uh, by himself or whatever. And, and so we oftentimes will throw the blame back on other person and say, well, you know, it's his fault, so therefore I don't need to help. And that's exactly what this guy could have, what those two guys did as they went through. They kind of pushed the blame over uh, on him. Um, Gordon McDonald tells the story of one time he was in uh, Minneapolis and he was on his way to speak at a Christian conference. So he's in the back of a cab, and as he's in the back of a cab, the, the, the cab stops as this drunk person comes out in between two cars, and he happened to trip, and he fell right in front of the cab. He hit his chin. Blood goes everywhere. And in the back of the cab, Gordon says, he starts thinking, okay, I've, I've got to be at the conference in 15 minutes. I, you know, and I'm wearing a brand new suit. And I don't know anybody in this town, and like, there's all these excuses that went through his head as to why he, he couldn't go help. But he realized, um, as somebody who's a pastor, he should have known better, but he realized as he was thinking in that moment, everything flashed into his head, the biggest thought was, he did this to himself. This guy's drunk. It's his own fault. Why should I have to go and help him when it's his own fault? And um, thankfully, before he had a chance to work all that out. Other people came and helped the guy and got him in a, in a safer place. But afterwards, Gordon said he, he realized as he was thinking about it, he, um, everything else that he was thinking there was just kind of a justification for the fact that he did it to himself. He, it's his own fault, and therefore, I don't have any obligation to go and help him. Um, I think... We see that most often today in our town when it comes to backpacking. And we see somebody who's uh, in a difficult situation, um, and, and our mindset so often is um, it's their own fault. They chose to do drugs. They chose to do whatever. And I'm not saying, I recognize, and police would, would say, you know, I recognize that, I'm not saying we should go up and try to fix that situation. But many, there are, Preston would attest, there are a significant number of people in this town who wish the Hero House and the Fulton House didn't exist. Because why are we spending money helping those people? And it just comes down to this. It's her own fault. It's his own fault. Why, why should we help them? 
And I would argue in response, and this parable points us in the same direction, every human being was created in the image of God. And even if they have fallen under a sin like drug abuse, that does not make them without value. They are still somebody that God created in his own image and therefore are worthy of our compassion and our love and our prayers. And so we can't just look at somebody and say, that's ah, his own fault. I don't have any obligation to show compassion there. Second thing is this. I'd help, but I'm not going to get hurt. I'd help, but I'm not going to get hurt. Um, look at verse 30 with me. Still, a mango was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. So we alluded to this a moment ago. It's a situation that is dangerous. Um, continuing in the next verse, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away. So it talks about him being attacked. It talks about him being stripped of his clothes. It talks about him being beaten. And so there are times here, a second excuse is, we'll look at a situation and, and we recognize the person needs help or assistance, but it, it, it's a situation that either emotionally or physically is, is not a totally safe situation, and so we want to stay back from that. Uh, let's talk about an emotional situation. So maybe we're at work and there's somebody who is going through a time of difficulty and they're, they're really struggling through, uh, uh, I don't know, what, whatever the crisis is in their life, and, and we look at it and we know that, that because they're struggling, they're not at a great place mentally, and so what do we do? We're like, I don't, I don't want to be anywhere near that person. I, I'm checking out from that. I don't want to be a part of that at all. And so we excuse ourselves because it is somebody that is going through a time of difficulty. It's somebody who's going through a time of struggle, that somehow the fact that it's not 100% safe or it's not 100% easy, that that gives me an excuse to pull back from that. And yet here in this situation, we know from verse 30 that this man had been attacked, he had been stripped, he had been beaten, and yet that doesn't mean that when the Samaritan comes along that he's not supposed to help. And again, going back to what I said at the beginning, I'm not saying, you know, if you're a woman on a road in the middle of a dark night and, uh, and there's a bunch of people that look really dangerous and you should stop and I know we need to use logic and we need to be careful, but oftentimes when the situation has a little bit of, of struggle within it, we'll automatically and quickly pull back just because there's a little bit of struggle in that situation. And here, the fact that there was some of that in that situation didn't mean that the Samaritan was not supposed to go and assist. So we need to be careful that we don't use that as an excuse to immediately get ourselves out of a situation. Number three. Number three is, I'll help next time. I'll help next time. Look at the end of verse 30. It says, They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. It makes us feel better to not say no to a situation, but to just say not right now. And so we'll say, well, I'm, I'm not going to you know, help that person right now. Maybe in the future I might. And so we pull back away from that situation. But in fact, in that moment, we've said no. And yet here, as we look at it, at the end of verse 30, those last two words are that he was half dead. And so it's a situation where there, there isn't necessarily a next time. Like this guy may not make it if somebody doesn't come along and help him. He's in a situation where he's half dead. And when we look at a, a circumstance 
and we make ourselves feel better by saying, well, you know, I can't help right now, but maybe I'll help sometime in the future. In some of those situations, it is something where that, that person may deeply be struggling and really need somebody today, really need somebody right now. Maybe somebody dealing with depression who needs somebody to step in and be a friend of them and help them, and they're right on the edge of going in a really dark direction. And we need to not say, well, I'm going to put it off and do that someday. But instead, we need to step up right now. I remember there's an old story of, um, it, the story goes that there was a meeting of Satan and all of his demons. Um, and uh, Satan was trying to get them to agree to, okay, what's the best strategy that we can use? What, what will be the best thing to tempt people? And, and one of the demons said, well, let's tell people that there is no heaven. And Satan said, no, nah, people won't believe that because inside each heart is the, the desire to know that there's something beyond this life. And a second demon said, well, let's say there's no hell. Let's tell people there's no hell. And Satan said, no, th there's, a, there's a desire for justice inside of every human being that would point them in another direction. And so the first said there is no heaven. The second said there is no hell. The third demon set up and said, let's just tell them there's no hurry. And Satan said, that's what we will do, go forward. And sometimes we need to recognize that our lack of hurry, our willingness to procrastinate, is the difference between us being compassionate and us not being compassionate because we just put it off a little bit longer even when that person may not have a little bit longer to wait. Number four, the fourth excuse, going down to 31 and 32, is it's not my job. It's not my job. As you look at 31, it starts out, we're not going to unpack the whole verse, but at 31, it says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. Verse 32, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Both of these are trained religious professionals. Both of these are people who should have had compassion in that situation, and yet they don't. And one of the reasons might have been, listen, my job is here at the temple. I, I do this. Or my job is to read the law and to interpret that. That's my job. I don't, I'm not in charge of helping people along the side of the road. I don't have to do that kind of a thing. And so we may put off uh, situations and not help because we say it's not our job. The problem with that is that we as Christians are called to be servants. We're called to be servants. And a servant means that when there's a need that arises, I don't say, well, I, I'm too good for that. I, I'm, I'm above that. I don't, have to, I don't have to mess with that. But a servant recognizes that whatever the need is, I'm willing to step in and do something about it because there's a need and I'm a servant and I'm willing to do that. Both of these guys were trained in the law, they're religious professionals, and yet they don't feel like it's their job. The priest had one thing to do, the Levite had another, and in neither case did they feel like it was their job to go and help this person. We need to recognize that as Christians, no matter what the need, we are called to go and to be servants in those situations and to help where there's a need. The fifth thing this morning is in verse 34. Verse 34. The fifth thing is, I'll, I'll help if somebody asks. I'll help if somebody asks. Verse 34, just the first few words. We'll talk more about the rest of it next week. But verse 34 starts with, He went to him. He went to him. He didn't hold back and wait on the man to ask, because obviously the man couldn't ask. But instead, it says that he went 
to him. I've experienced this over and over again. We've been using other examples. Use a church example for a minute. I've experienced this over and over again where you, you as a church, you ask, you know, we need help with whatever. Um, we need help in, in teaching uh, in Sunday school. And nobody volunteers, nobody volunteers, nobody volunteers. Then you go and ask somebody. They're like, oh, yeah, you just had to ask. I would have been willing to volunteer. You're like, we've been asking for weeks and weeks. And sometimes we hold back waiting on, hoping somebody else is going to serve, hoping somebody else is going to step up when we need to recognize we, we shouldn't have to wait on somebody else to ask us, but we should be willing to step up and serve just because the opportunity is there to serve. The man doesn't wait. The Samaritan doesn't wait on somebody to ask him. But instead, it says in verse 34 that he went to him. In all these things, and again, I know there are exceptions, but in all these things, we need to understand the call that we have to show compassion to those around us, to show mercy and love to those around us. It made me think of a, of a story I read years ago from um, it was the 2004 Summer Olympics. And from Australia, there was a, a, a rowing team, a crew team of eight people. And uh, they were, I believe it was, through two-thirds of the race, they were in third place. And then as they got to the, the two-thirds, three-quarters mark, somewhere in there, one of the crew members just quit rowing and let her oar drop into the water. And this, this team went from third place all the way by the time they got to the end, they were in last place because this one crew member let her oar drop. Um, afterwards, she was asked, if her, her teammates were furious, justifiably, with her wanted to throw her off of the, uh, the boat there into the water. And she was like, I, I rode my guts out for, for the first three quarters, and I didn't have anything left. Well, they weren't at the least bit sympathetic to that because you're an Olympic athlete. You should have enough to go all the way to the end. But it was just striking to me how when they were all working together, they were in contention for a medal, and then one quit, and they slid all the way to last place. And I don't just mean serving in the church, having a, a role to play in the church, although that's a good thing, but just the church in the community, in, in our workplaces, as we have the compassion that we're supposed to have, not saying, well, I, I would help, but, but folks that are going through emotional struggles and stepping into that, or seeing somebody in need and stepping into that, whatever the situation is where we see a need for compassion, to go back to that earlier verse, look back up with me for a second in verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? How often do we try to justify ourselves? Well, I don't have to help here, or I don't have to give here. Or I, and we're justifying ourselves when we are called to be the neighbor. To go back to verse 27, one of the two greatest commandments, love your neighbor as yourself. Going back to that crew team, if not some of us were rowing, but if all of us in this church were collectively, every opportunity that we had, showing compassion, showing mercy, showing love, reaching out and sharing what Christ would have us to, how much further along in the race would we be than if we have half of our oars in the water and only a few people rowing? Jesus here, and it's an important question in 25 through 29, he's talking about the greatest commands. Love God 
and love others. We will, as a church, have the impact we're supposed to, in part, when we are showing the love that we're supposed to, and when we recognize that everyone around us, those that we call our friends and those that we don't, all of them are our neighbors, and we are called, verse 27, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Heavenly Father, um, we admit this morning that we we use excuses. We justify ourselves. Why we can walk away, why we can not engage, why we can be unconcerned, why we can care less. And I pray this morning, Father, that that you might increase the compassion in our hearts. That we might recognize that we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I pray, Father, that as we go through this week that is to come, that you would put someone in front of us that demands a decision. Whether it's somebody dealing with an emotional crisis or somebody in a physical need or, or whatever the situation may happen to be, where we have to choose to love someone. Where we have to choose to show compassion as opposed to using an excuse. And in that moment, may we love our neighbor as ourselves. I pray in Jesus' name, and amen. Our song this morning is 668, which is, I'll go where you want me to go. As we stand and sing our invitation song this morning, if you desire to receive Christ or uh, to rededicate, if you desire to join the church, uh, whatever the need may happen to be, I'm up front, I would love to, to pray that with you. If there are other needs this morning, if you just need to come forward and have a moment of prayer, Um, You're more than welcome to do that. We're going to stand and sing, I'll go where you want me to go. And as we do, obey the Holy Spirit.